0: I'm Art Stevens, managing partner of the Stevens Group. Welcome to another in the podcast series of PR Masters. This series features luminaries and legends in the world of public relations. Our guest today is someone that we can all truly refer to as a legend. He is Larry Weber, CEO of Racepoint Global and former CEO of Weber Shanwick, a firm which still bears his name. Larry is a pioneer in technology PR and the founder of several successful public relations and interactive marketing agencies, as well as a book author. Larry is recognized as a thought leader on the convergence of technology, the web, and communications. So I'm very happy to present to you today Larry Weber, who will answer our questions and uh, present his thoughts on the world of public relations to our listeners today. Larry, how are you today?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me, Art.
0: Terrific, terrific. You and I have known each other for a long time, and obviously I followed your career, as have so many other people, and you've had truly an illustrious career in the world of public relations. Um, So I guess my first question to you, Larry, is you're considered one of the pioneers in technology PR, and my question is, how did you get into it?
1: Well, it was interesting. It was uh, sort of serendipity because um, I had moved to Boston. My wife's from Boston, and I couldn't get it to stay in Cleveland where I grew up, so um, I got a job at one of the big ad agencies there and running their little PR department, and I was running, writing uh, news releases for Titleist Golf Balls on why <laughs> three, 364 dimples is going to make your ball go straighter and further, and I was like, uh, oh, please, and uh, I, 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 I hope this doesn't continue. And uh, I went to a party in Cambridge, Massachusetts. This was 1981, 82. And I met a guy named Mitch Kapoor, and he had just started a company called Lotus Software. And uh, he was explaining what it was doing, a product called 123. And he said, why don't you come see me next week? And I went to see him, and he was one of the proud owners of an early IBM PC he demonstrated one, two, three, which was an accounting application, and he said, "I need more than advertising. I need to be able to explain what this technology does, and why it's so impactful." And I said, "Well, we can do that. I'm a, I'm a storyteller, and uh, and and all good PR people are good storytellers." And I started to get really enamored with technology uh, through that experience, and I. Started to meet people like Ken Olson, who had started Digital Equipment, Dr. Wang, who had Wang Laboratories, Edson DeCastro, who had started Data General, uh, Steve Jobs, who was at Apple at the time and uh, was trying to uh, coordinate with the software developers. So um, I sort of got sucked into that world. And then, uh, and then someone that was in our business f- uh, for years and is still around uh, today but not practicing, Regis McKenna, took me to dinner and said, uh, you know, Larry, um, you should run my East Coast business. And I said, well, I don't know about that. Um, I'm sort of enjoying what I'm doing. And then he looked up from his dinner and he said, you know what, just start your own business. Clients really like how you're doing the work. And I started my own business and uh, the Weber Group. And by 1992, we were the largest technology PR firm in the world. And it was a time, too, Art, when... Um, you know, most PR firms were generalists. Um, you know, I talked with Harold Burson. I talked with Dan Edelman. Um, and they were trying to be everything to all people, which was fine. Um, but what the technology world started to do was say to PR practitioners, we need specialists. We we need people that understand engineering and engineering thinking and uh and and that was the beginning of really what I think of verticalization of the PR industry and um and uh we obviously you know did a very good job at that at that time and uh it was exciting to launch companies like uh Lotus and SAP and um SAS Institute and uh AOL and on and on so um that's how I got into it <laughs>
0: so Larry did you, uh, you obviously uh, uh, had an opportunity during your i guess almost 40 years of of uh, being uh, truly the guru in technology pr you've had an opportunity as you described to work with some of the giants in the industry uh, and and also the formation of of great companies uh, how well did you know steve jobs did you uh, uh, did you work with him personally if so uh, what's he like
1: well he was um you know we worked uh, in ancillary sort of situations because he needed to partner with a lot of the software companies and the technology companies, the chip companies, especially t- at the time, companies like Intel, uh, again, Lotus, uh, Microsoft, uh, and you know and he was, um, he was a man that was um, uh, how, how did I say this? He, he never would sit still. So he wouldn't even sit down at a in a conference a table. He was always walking around, always demanding answers, always getting the best thoughts around. And uh, I think, uh, you know, always looking for opportunity. And uh, he understood the power of software, which I think is something that a lot of people don't know. I think Walter Isaacson pointed that out in his um, his great book about Steve a couple years ago. But um, it's really, you know, people think it's devices that he was so great at. It actually was the power of the software that made those devices so amazing. And to this day, the smartphone uh, is uh, that has changed everyone's lives is really his uh, his baby. So uh, you know, he's right up there in my world is with uh, Walt Disney and you know and Einstein, etc. So.
0: So Larry, you you. You've been in uh, obviously the world of technology PR for for a number of years. Uh, you know you, virtually at the beginning, and you've seen where 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 it went to where it is today. What what do you what do you see as the difference between technology PR today, and when you first got into it?
1: Well, when I first got into it, it was very engineering driven, and um, and it is not as much today. Even though the under underpinning of all innovation. Is obviously um, innovation through engineering. We're what I like to say, and in my current book, I have a whole chapter on this. Is we're in the seventh wave of computing. Let's and plug the name of the I, book,
0: Larry. What What is the name of
1: the book? Oh, I'm sorry. It's Authentic Marketing. It's my sixth book and uh, just out, and I'm very proud of it. I hope people will pick it up. And um, but one of the things I talk about is and, and how this will answer your question in a sort of a different way is that um, we're in the seventh wave of computing. And, w- and uh, the first one was obviously out of World War II, the mainframe. We moved quickly into the PDP 11s and the micro com- mini computers, then to the PC, then to the H- HTML, the web, then to search um, and and so on. The seventh wave right now is what I call um, com- of computing is – Uh, technology meets humanity, and you can no longer take them apart. And this is why companies like Facebook are having some trouble right now. It's not really privacy as much as it is understanding that a technology company can't just put out a platform and be agnostic or apolitical anymore and say, well, if somebody uses it for bad things, it's not my fault, I just – gave you the technology that just doesn't work anymore you've got to be responsible for what you've created and there has to be a morality and an ethics to what you're doing and that's really changed radically from the last 40 years that where we were more pure technology storytellers now we have to consider how to tell a technology story within a human condition and Um, You know, it's interesting to me that leaders like Salesforce.com named their first chief ethics officer, for example, uh, a a few months ago. So you're going to start to see the PR and communications needs of communicating the impact of AI, of voice technology. I mean, you know, name the technology, location-based technology. You're going to have to help explain why this is good for humanity, why this is good for people, and that people are in control of the technology and not vice versa so i also try to position technology pr today as every company is a technology company one example is our we have a client john deere which everybody thinks is about big green tractors well you know what it's it's it is about big green tractors but They also want to be positioned as a software and data company to help farmers produce more food. And so if you take that sort of line of thinking, you can see how PR programs, engagement programs are all going to start telling a story around how do we feed 2 billion more people by 2050. And it's going to be about the use of data, the use of technology, the use of smart software so that, um, you know, we can do better for humanity, and that's also what's in authentic marketing. So that's how technology marketing has changed. I actually think it's broadened, and it's becoming more impactful to the day-to-day lives of all people. And I guess lastly, I would say, obviously, the media has changed. When we first started in tech PR, you had the very specific magazines, like everything from Macworld to Computer World, et cetera. And today, of course, you know, you have huge social channels that are focused on technology and, and, and innovation. You have a number of KOLs or influencers um, that are um, set up to, to discuss and uh, recommend different technologies to, uh, to help your business uh, or your life, uh, et cetera. So it takes a lot more, uh, actually, homework and research to make sure you have the influencer sets uh, at your uh, disposal uh, to create content that's going to impact them and have them cover you and discuss you.
0: So that leads, uh, that leads to my, my next question. You know, you've just described uh, really you know, what the role of, 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 of uh, technology brands and corporations uh, are today, what they face, uh, and the humanity aspect of it. Um, given all that, uh, how has public relations changed? During the years that you've been uh, in it, uh, how has it kept up? You know, with uh, obviously what you just described.
1: Yeah, well, how how public relations has changed really is I think earned media, which is really what we're all about, is is on the rise, and I think that's you've probably seen that even numer, uh, numbers wise as you see most of the agencies, uh, you know, growing, um, uh, thriving. Um, in 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 their businesses, you see the expansion of internal PR or earned media groups uh, at, at corporations, especially the digital native corporations, where you see thousands of people at a, at a Google, an Alphabet, a Facebook, uh, you know, a Amazon, uh, an Apple, um, you know. So, and it, it's because um, I think society itself is looking for transparent information. And not something that's led by paid media uh, or advertising, as we all knew it. And I think what's become very clear to me in, uh, with the growth of the PR industry is that society in general wants the truth, uh, and they want, you know, um, they want stories that help them feel good about what they're buying or what companies they're partnering with, and that's why I. think... Earned media on the rise, being more supported by some paid media, especially digital paid media, in the from Google and Facebook, um, Amazon, even um, you'll see that expand, I I believe. But I think um, the role of of this transparent storytelling and content creation is only going to grow, and it's because again of a need to seek uh, you know, well position stories and companies and products, and also to recruit people to tell those stories. And that's what really social media brought uh, to us, was the ability to um, have those stories shared from consumer to consumer uh, or business to business, uh, et cetera. And I think that that's really been the changing face of public relations that's uh, been so interesting for at least me to watch.
0: You know, a lot of, a lot of people in, in the world of public relations, Larry, have, uh, have drawn a, a very clear line between what had been referred to earlier, you know, as urban media, which really meant, you know, uh, uh, hard copy newspapers and magazines and radio and television. And, uh, and on the other side of that line is now, you know, social media and, uh, you know, all the uh, uh, possibilities that the web presents, you know, to uh, storytellers. Um, given given that, how do you how do you now define earned media? You seem to be combining all of it.
1: Yeah, well, I I, I look at earned media as again content-driven storytelling t- to an influencer base, and I actually define marketing as you know the um, the the influence of opinion through content, and I think that was always what earned media and PR was was the influence of opinion through content. So it just happens that we've expanded our distribution set uh to include you know media that is people so every person's almost has the potential to be media as you see with twitter or facebook or you know uh instagram and 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 then we have the traditional media that actually i think has gotten better because of the competition of of this uh, extra uh impact of social and um and um, and um, and other communications uh, vehicles. So um, I'm I, I'm very positive about the broader range and scope of of the distribution uh, of the different media that we're seeing. So um, that's how I would say.
0: Larry, um, uh, there's a breaking news story. I don't know if you've seen it uh, in the PR uh, world. This morning, that uh, Publicis uh, has acquired uh, Epsilon, uh, which a which is a, a major data marketing company for four point yep. four billion dollars. I don't know if you've seen that, but I, I knew they wondered... were. T- I
1: knew I knew Maurice was looking at it. So, um, and I know Epsilon well. It's based up here in Boston area. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, what, um, what do you
0: think the ramifications of that are? You know, given you know, given what P- Publicis does and has done and a company the size of Epsilon, and a deal of that magnitude, $4.4 billion. that That has to be one of the largest uh, uh, transactions, I think, among uh, the public, the, uh, the uh, holding companies uh, out there. Uh, and what do you think their ramifications are?
1: Well, uh, their strategy is similar to what I think uh, uh, Interpublic, who had bought my company um, and still owns Weber Shamwick, um, tried to do with Axiom. Uh, their purchase of a a big data company. And obviously, you know, what Epsilon brings to Publicis is yet more refined consumer data uh, because they really were originally a digital direct agency, uh, Epsilon. And, And what is happening is Publicis is trying to say we should have one big platform that has huge amounts of consumer data and analytics so that we can target um, our advertising our storytelling our digital marketing all based on the most targeted information uh, that we can possibly have you know the issue is going to be in my opinion is is there really such thing as just one platform and and then the nuances that come with understanding human behavior and and getting comp- You know, betting the whole farm on just data and analytics, I'm not sure is the right, complete right direction. But obviously they think so, to pay $4.5 billion uh, for a company that actually has not been growing recently, if you really look at Epsilon's history. So um, you know what? Maurice Levy and his team are smart people. Um, They haven't been really, I think, leaders in PR as much. I know they have Manning, Selvige, and Lee, um, but I think that's about it. I, um, and I don't know how it's going to impact them, but I'll say this, uh, the PR industry in general, this is one area where I'll be a little critical of the PR industry, is I don't think we've gotten deep enough into data and analytics and, and specific consumer data. So this might be an opportunity for an MSL Uh, and if they have any other PR groups there, to actually take part in the the sharing of of deep consumer data to actually create better narratives for their clients, uh, uh, et cetera. So I think time will tell. We'll see about this. I think the holding companies in general are struggling, as you you might see there in New York uh, and in London and uh, in Paris. They're spending money, obviously, on, on this stuff but um we'll see where 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 that takes obviously, data and analytics is king right now at least in uh in some of these holding companies' eyes so
0: you know well, you you've used the word analytics a number of times, and that seems to be a a, a word that has uh uh taken hold i guess even in the p r industry there are some uh public relations firms out there that really stake their their reputation on the use of analytics uh um do you want to uh, uh, embellish on that term and what you think it means to the public relations, uh, particularly the agencies uh, who yep. are using it now?
1: Sure, it can mean a lot of things, but in general, it just means understanding your audiences better. So, you know, think of uh, the one I think about a lot is the healthcare category, which has complex constituencies. So it could be up to ten or twelve different constituencies uh, for a health-related business, you know, from doctors to caregivers to patients to payors, et cetera, et cetera. So one level of analytics, especially in the PR world, is understanding that constituency set in a deep way. And um, the next is, you know, the uh, actually analytics of quantitative uh, numbers. So, uh, you know, how many people buy this, how many people look at this, how many people share this. So it's understanding those kinds of analytics before you put together your content strategies and and your communications uh, strategies. I also think there's a level of software analytics that most PR companies aren't quite uh, comfortable with yet, and that's using things like maybe next generation um, software from companies like HubSpot, Marketo, uh, even Adobe. Um, And these are, you know, Far more advanced than the CRM first CRM products that uh, are on the mark, were on the market, and um, I think PR is going to have to understand the use of these kinds of software analytic tools. We're also going to have to understand that we've grown up. Most of us have grown up on what I would call uh, structured data and structured analytics, which is again more quantitative. It's it's quant. It's it's numbers. It's math. And the growing area of analytics is more complex, which I would call unstructured data. And that's paying attention to the conversations that are happening on a Facebook or in Google or on Twitter, or Instagram, and really gleaning knowledge and, and uh, from those unstructured conversations so that you can play a relevant role uh, for your client and or its products uh, in those kinds of discussions. So, it's it's really still very early, which is surprising to me. I thought we would have all been using a lot more software products like 20 years ago in in PR. But uh, I think it's just starting in 2019 and 2020 hmm. uh, to take t- take hold. And you see a lot of startups in uh, sort of analytic software for conversations for unstructured data. And um, I find that. Interesting and also I find that satisfying that our industry is finally paying attention to that.
0: Well, Larry, this leads uh, my next series of questions now have to do with you personally um, and your the role you have played in public relations these uh, these many years and the contributions you've made. What do you what do you feel are your are your greatest accomplishments in public relations?
1: Wow. Um, Modesty aside.
0: Modesty aside. (laughs) uh,
1: Yeah. I I go first to, you know, it's interesting, but, um, you know, I look at the people that I've not uh, trained is the wrong word, but uh, the colleagues I've worked with that I've brought along and that we've tried to innovate along the way, and I see them accomplishing so much still at Weber Shandwick at their own companies that they've started uh, within corporations where they are. And I get so many emails um, almost every day from people, you know, asking me a question that had worked with me. You know, what do I think? So becoming, uh, you know, a mentor for for all of these people has been great. And I've enjoyed that, you know, very much. The other things I would say is um, the use of technology in PR um, is something I've always been a big uh, fan of. And also, I think if I look back on all the companies and all the people I've worked with, probably the biggest thing that was so satisfying for me were a couple, actually, there's a couple things. One was launching HTML for Tim Berners-Lee, which was obviously the web. And that was in 1992, 93, when he moved his work from CERN in Switzerland to the Lab for Computer Science at MIT and uh, under the work of uh, Dr. Michael Dertuzos, uh, who was a consultant to Bill Gates for years. And um, that, I saw how that was going to change everything, and I, I carried that with me as well. And, then, and, and that led to a deeper uh, relationship with another MIT professor, Nicholas Negroponte, who had started the Media Lab, and that got me understanding the impact of media and technology and when he wanted some help to uh, to launch the one laptop per child, which you might remember was the hundred dollar laptop to the third world countries, uh, we did that for free, oh, and yes. uh, we we won the United Nations award, one of the few agencies that has ever won uh, a United Nations um, award for excellence in communications uh, to uh, to to move forward. Um, um, a moral purpose for the, uh, in the world, and uh, that also stuck with me. And even though I've written six books and uh, one the big bestseller, Marketing to the Social Web, I think uh, was important for people, and it was early 2007, and I think it was a bestseller just because it talked about uh, how businesses should think about this new thing, social media. I look to this current book as being my most important book and, um, and and I hope it's a legacy that people will, will take seriously. The subtitle is authentic marketing is capturing hearts and minds through the purpose through the power of purpose. And I believe that all companies should have a a sincere moral purpose that they use as a tool to help attract customers and communicate to customers and potential customers in an honest and and transparent way, and I'm hoping that uh, my PR brethren will will look at that kind of position and that kind of uh, notion as something that they can bring to their clients or to their companies, and I'm hoping that that will be my major legacy uh, other than all the other stuff that I've just talked about.
0: Larry, who's the publisher?
1: Uh, it's Wiley John Wiley and Sons. Oh,
0: a uh, very reputable publisher. So, everybody out there, Authentic Marketing by Larry Weber published by John Wiley. A must read, and I will plan to read it myself. And uh, thank, thank you. you for sharing that. Larry, uh, your name is still identified with one of the largest PR firms in the world, which is really extraordinary. Uh, not too many yep. people have that uh you know uh, in their backgrounds. Um, <laughs> You, you founded one of the largest you know, technology PR firms in the world. You sold it to Interpublic, um, and then it became uh, Weber Shanwick, uh, yep. I guess long after or somewhat after uh, Interpublic acquired Shanwick itself. They merged the two to become Weber Shanwick, uh, and then you left, uh, and the name continues. And Weber Shanwick is now, I guess, probably the second largest public relations firm in the world, just be uh, somewhat behind edelman would you care to share that experience and uh, and uh, w- uh, obviously since my firm the stevens group does mergers and acquisitions i'd be interested in learning from you you know why you decided to sell your firm uh, what what role you played there um and uh, what your experience was and why you decided to leave if you don't mind sharing that with us
1: no i don't mind at all and you know i'm very proud obviously of weber shandwick and uh, what i accomplished there but um you know i was very young when i sold the weber group i i was um again we had built the largest tech pr firm in the world it was 1996 i think late 96 when i got visited from let's see uh i don't think he was a sir yet martin sorrell uh john wren and and then the inner public guys uh it was uh phil Geyer and and, and john dooner those guys and Uh, I picked Interpublic because they had not done anything in what they used to call back then uh, you know, below-the-line marketing, which I did not like, but anyway, since advertising was above-the-line, quote-unquote. But um, I said, you know, great, I'd I'd love to do that. And their strategy at the time was to – they had the largest ad agency in the world called McCann Erickson, and they wanted to have the largest PR firm. And I said, well, if I can have your checkbook, that would be great. And so I did a very simple strategy, Art, and you might remember this. It was simply to look at geographic regions and also vertical orientations. So I bought 31 companies in three years uh, based on, you know, um, you know, where they were located, where I saw, um, you know, markets that were extremely important from Germany to, you know, Japan to, uh, to China and uh I'm Shandwick sorry I wasn't was, uh... doing
0: mergers and acquisitions then we could have done some business together.
1: Yeah, we <laughs> sure could have. But uh and Shandwick was the reason I bought Shandwick, which I felt had a sort of a mediocre reputation at the time. The reason I, I, I bought them or we, we bought them at Interpublic was he uh Lord Chadlington had, had built a very excellent Asian network and I didn't have to go find a specific company in Kuala Lumpur or a specific company in P- Uh, Beijing you know they had already really pretty much established that so that was an easy way to buy that and I just said let's call it Weber Shandwick since your Shandwick was very known at the time and then I'll always remember this Edelman who I tried to buy um, but the the family turned me down um, at the time I I was trying to figure out how I could stay the largest because Fleshman Hillard was, was buying uh, things up as well. And this was like around 2000, exactly 2000. So, and uh, I said, geez. And that's when the interpublic decided to buy True North, which was a smaller holding company that owned a pretty big PR firm called BSMG, you might remember. And, um, yeah. Yeah. and um, so I said, yeah, let's do that. And so we got BSMG, and I got to know... Uh, God, they're all still there, too. Andy Polanski is still running Weber Shanwick, and Harris Diamond's running McCann Erickson. And I said, you guys are good at what you do, but I want you to be part of Weber Shanwick so that we can claim to be the largest in the world and also the best in the world and uh, and keep your understanding of technology and innovation. And So we put it all together, and for a number of years, it was the largest uh, PR firm. I kept Golan separate, and I Kept DeVries separate, and I kept some of the entertainment agencies I bought separate—the uh, Pat Kingsley and uh, and uh, uh, Michael Nyman and Howard Bragman's companies, uh, and even um, uh, the other Hollywood, uh, Rogers and Cowan, uh, and so. Um, but I'm very proud of of Weber Shanwick, and uh, I think they're proud of me. And uh, why I left—it uh, was two years past my earn out and uh I was I had a young family and I was tired of uh, taking the shuttle on Tuesday mornings and coming back late Thursday night uh back to Boston and uh and I wanted to take some time off. I had made some good money and I was took time to write my second book and and then I said, you know what? There's the future of PR is going to be about integrated uh, you know disciplines. We're going to have to have a creative department, we're going to have to have an analytics department, we're going to have and I just thought it would be easier to do that, you know, on a smaller scale, and that's what Race Point is. And uh, you know, I have my days, Art, where you know I miss the, you know, the the big the big life <laughs> of roaming around the globe and, yeah. and uh, you know having the 800 million dollar you know gorilla uh, that Weber Shandwick has become. But um, you know, I'm also very proud of the quality work that we do for clients like Panasonic and. Uh, John Deere and Huawei and AT and T et cetera et cetera and um uh, and emerging companies, which is hard to do if you're a big agency to work with innovative smaller emerging companies that might you know only be able to spend fifteen, twenty thousand a month um on PR services. So um I keep a great great relationship with um with the Weber Shanwick guys and and women and uh and uh, but I you know I I moved on so that that that's what happened.
0: Well, it is fascinating that there's a company out there that still has your name and and you're not part of it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I would, it is. I would think that's
0: a that's a great tribute to you, Larry. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. They've never changed it. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah.
0: So uh, given given your experience, you know, with uh, obviously having started a number of firms uh, and successful ones at that, um, now it's 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 we're in, in the uh, category of giving some advice to our listeners, those people who sure. are thinking about starting or growing an agency. Given the fact that you've done it several times, what lessons have you learned uh, and what advice would you give to people who w- w- either want to start an agency or grow an agency?
1: Well, to, a number of things I would say that are sort of rules of mind. One is that all power comes from the client. So, you know, you have to figure out how to connect with the client and the potential client, and and be a resource that is needed by them. That's one. Two is I think you need to think strategically, not just tactically. I think too many PR uh, practitioners and companies and agencies, et cetera, you know, think of, they just have to get the ink or get the, the the influencer to write about you. And of course, that's an outcome that you would like. But you have to deal in strategy, communication strategy, building narratives, understanding how to create content. The next is you have to have a passion for a category. I, I think being a generalist is, is not so great uh, in this day and age. So I think, you know, even the fast growing companies like W2O, um, Jim, uh, what's his last name? Weiss. Weiss. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he had a deep focus and passion on health care. And, you know, and if you look at the history of all the top names in PR art, right, they had a core, core expertise. So I had technology, Weber, right? Burson, uh, Burson had corporate, uh, you know, Fleshman had consumer. They represented Budweiser. You know, Porta Novelli had health. Uh, you know, Ketchum had consumer. Edelman was more consumer than anything else. Hill and Knowlton was public affairs. So you you, you need some, and I don't think that's changed to, to in today's world, where you need a core understanding and, and of, a, of a vertical orientation. You can have more than one, but I think that's the way to start something. That's the way to be successful, to be really good at a specific category. And, and I don't think that's going to change. I think PR has gone further away from advertising and more toward, uh, you know, a legal or an accounting or consulting type of direction where you are specialists. You want a tax lawyer, especially today on the 15th. But, but you you know, <laughs> you, 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 want, you want specific expertise just like you do in medicine. You know, you can go to a general doctor, but you are very quickly sent to specialists, you know, uh, for whatever you need. So that would be my advice. And then you've got to like what you do, and you have to like the people you work with, and you have to, you know, and and also I would say don't take yourself too seriously. You know, this is really just marketing at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, and and, and work hard and and work with people that you like to work with. So that would be my advice.
0: So. So given what you just said, what do you think a PR agency will look like in 10 years?
1: I think the, the PR agency successful PR agency will be very focused on specific categories. It will also have a deep understanding of the use of new technologies like voice, uh, next generation social media. And I think it probably will have at least twenty to twenty five percent of its revenue coming from software software as a service. So whether it's their software that they've developed or that they've purchased, that um, example would be influencer software, like understanding how to pick the 50 most important influencers for a product launch or a company positioning or a company's reputation. So I think you're going to see an uh, influx of, of the use of software, uh, use of technology tools, and I think a deeper understanding of uh, of vertical orientation and of actual technologies that uh, – uh, are impacting the way people communicate with each other and, uh, and with companies. And I do think there's going to be a moral purpose component to most PR programs and uh, PR um, uh, narratives uh, because I think especially the millennial generation wants to work and buy from companies that are good companies. So I think that's going to be a, an important component to uh, what a PR agency looks like. In 10 years. I also think a lot of uh, agencies won't have giant headquarters. I think more and more people will be working, you know, in WeWorks or in in shared places, facilities or out of their home uh, because communications will be so fluid and so quick and so immediate that um, it's 24-7 like it is today already, but it'll get refined. Sure.
0: so agencies yeah. will save uh, on their rent. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's which is one of really the huge
1: expenses. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Larry, I'm going to ask you a, a question about, uh, you know, since you have been involved uh, in so many uh, acquisitions, God, you know, the number that you mentioned before is staggering. I think you said yep. you did 31 acquisitions at Weber Shanwick, something like yep. that. And since I do, as you know, my firm, the Stevens Group, uh, yep. uh, facilitates mergers and acquisitions, and I'm very close to that subject. And uh, certainly – have discussed some with you, past and present. Um, what do you feel the role of acquisitions
1: is, you know, in the PR agency world? Yeah, well, I, I still hold it hasn't changed much from what, what I did. I, I, I'm sure you see this, Art. I think the role is uh, mostly, again, about expertise in specific areas or geographic, regional, uh, leadership um so you know, race point. We have a, we're mostly technology business to business. Do I we have some medical technology and science? You know what would probably make sense when, from a strategy point of view is there a firm out there that is that just brings us you know almost equality in the in the medical or the health area to our technology offering that that would make strategic sense so um you know if you're building a generalist firm you know like i don't know if anybody's trying to do the next edelman or weber shandwick or fleshman hillard but you know i would um, you know i would again look by category and by uh, by geography um i'm interested very much personally in innovation centers if i had all the money in the world i'd buy my partner in munich i'd well, you know I'd buy a company in Stellenbosch, South Africa, because the university theres is the MIT of Africa. I'd you know, look to Austin again. Uh, we don't have anything in Austin right now. So uh, we'd opened in Raleigh because that's an innovation area. We're in San Francisco, we're in Boston. so uh, we're in Shenzhen, which is uh, the innovations really technology center in China. So, um, those are the kinds of strategies i would I would look to. I wouldn't look to just size anymore. Uh, you know that would be one thing. I was probably different. I was driven to buy for size because Interpublic that owned me wanted to, they wanted the, the 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 breadth and the depth and the size and the scale of like they had with McCann Erickson and so I often wouldn't buy the best in a geography or the best in a um, in a uh specific vertical category, I'd buy the biggest uh, cuz that got us there faster and that we could work on quality later after you have the size and the cash flow. So uh but I think that's shifted now and maybe that's what you've seen in your business is to a more expertise, not necessarily size. Obviously profitability is driving values. Uh so you've got to figure out a way to stay profitable. Um know, and uh, um, I guess that would be the sort of mix, I would say.
0: All right, about one last question for you. Uh, this has been outstanding. You know, you've really uh, shared some amazing insights, you know, with our listeners today, and I, I really thank you for your time. Uh, one final question. It's a two-part question. First of all, how would you like to be remembered, um, and also how long do you feel you will continue working, and and uh, and your view on retirement? I guess that's really three questions. So we'll start with how, how would you like to be remembered?
1: Well, I'd like to be remembered as a creative uh, solutions person, uh, someone that um, was an honest broker in an industry that um, was evolving, that I made a, uh, a great contribution to that industry, much like, uh, and I'm humbled to you say this, but, you know, like a Dan Edelman or a a Harold Burson and, and, you know, the people I looked up to uh, in this industry, I'd like to at least be considered that I had an impact, um, you know, on the industry, especially from a technology point of view. Uh, As far as retirement, um, I, 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 I have a hard time getting my Head around retirement. My wife wouldn't want me around the house that much, but uh, you know. So, um, but I, I think I have another five, six years uh, that I'd like to continue to work and get and get through this. Every company's a technology company phase. I have, and then I'd like to sell RacePoint to uh, some place that uh, is a good home for it, um, you know, and uh, and that the people are that work there and the clients feel like, um, you know, it's a natural evolution and transition. My guess is, um, and you know, it would be interesting to hear from your opinion. It doesn't have to be today or on this show, but um, you know, I'm I, I'd like to maybe look at being acquired by a, a consulting company, right, you know, and go more toward that direction than an actual communications holding company, uh, which uh, seem to be going more toward a pure data play. Uh, I think we're a more consultative business and. Uh, so I'd like to explore that a little bit over the next few years, and um, and we'll see where it goes. And I, I I don't think I have a seventh a seventh book in me about marketing. I think authentic marketing will be the last one there. But I do have some interest from uh, a different publisher around uh, a book about the personalities I've worked with over the f- almost 40 years uh, in technology, especially uh, the innovators, the drivers, and. Uh, my observations of uh, what made them successful, um, so I might I might tinker with that a bit as well.
0: Well, there's always uh, you know the start of a, a mystery series, you know, the, a, a detective <laughs> who is uh, uh, has been in technology PR. <laughs> yeah, you'd have a lot of a lot of fun writing that one. <laughs> Larry Weber, on behalf of our listeners, I really thank you for joining us today and sharing your views with us. And don't forget, everybody. Larry's new book is called Authentic Marketing, and it's published by John Wiley. It is a must-read. All of us, including myself, will be looking toward that book to provide us with information about where marketing in the world of PR is going in the future. And I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in to another one of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. So until the next time, I am Art Stevens, and I wish you all the very best. Thank you.